The Engineers Collective is powered by Bentley Systems. Around the world, engineers and architects, constructors and owner-operators are using Bentley software solutions to accelerate project delivery and improve asset performance for the infrastructure that sustains our economy and our environment. With digital technology changing the way the world lives, Bentley's infrastructure digital twins enable you to combine engineering, reality and IoT data of assets above and below ground to visualise, track change and perform analysis to optimise asset quality and performance. If you need help to embrace change and realize the benefits of a digital innovation within your business, speak to Bentley. We can help accelerate your digital advancement, help you make better decisions, gain insight, and achieve better business outcomes. Work with a partner you can trust and accelerate your pace of possible by going digital with Bentley at bentley.com forward slash going digital. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Engineers Collective. I'm Claire Smith and joining me today we have Nadine Badu, who's Features Editor of the New Civil Engineer. Hello, well this is my first podcast and I think we have some really exciting news and events to talk through today, so it is a great time to get involved. There have been lots of big news stories in the last few weeks, flooding, Heathrow, infrastructure investment, all 640 billion of it in the budget. Plus, our special guest today will be Heathrow West's Carlton Brown, who will be reviewing recent events and talking to us about the alternative proposals for the airport. So, flooding. I mean, it might actually be easier to list all the places that haven't been affected by what we now know is the wettest February on record. As you might expect, there's been widespread call for greater investment in more flood defences and pleas for the Environment Agency, Natural Resources Wales and Scotland Environment Protection Agency to do more. But is that really the right thing to do? Through investigations we recently carried out, one of NCU's reporters spoke to Simon Leake uh, from Atkins who suggested that as a nation we need to invest £1 billion a year in flood defences if we're going to take the hard engineering route. At the start of the month I think I would have said wow that is a really big number, especially when flood defences are competing with other infrastructure for investment. But that figure's just been confirmed in the budget plus another £120 million to repair damaged flood defences and 200 million for flood hit areas. That funding has been welcomed, but there's been, been a real change in tack from the Environment Agency in recent weeks. Chief Executive Sir James Bevan suggested that we need to consider relocation and moving away from flood risk areas. I actually think that's going to be a really difficult thing for people to take on board, but we do need to consider, consider that flood defences are not the only option. MWH's David Balfour recently told us that we need to look at ways of diverting water away from critical infrastructure. It's interesting that he said that, actually, as one of the features in NCE's April issue looks at new, a new motorway project in Serbia that is creating flood defences as part of the road project to mitigate to, against the impact of the road and provide resilience. I think the need for resilience and the link to the climate emergency is something that people still aren't making. That's really true, and quite a few people actually criticised the budget for not being green enough. I mean, everyone's losing their heads over the coronavirus, but I just don't see the same reaction about the climate change. And I think there's something that there's some kind of psychological difference that we need to understand. Most can see how coronavirus would directly affect them, but feel climate crises will only affect them in the distant future, despite the fact the effects are here now all around us. Definitely. I also think some people still don't understand the science of climate change, but they might have had flu and have personal experience of that. 
That's a really interesting perspective. And I think the, uh, the Court of Appeal judgment on Heathrow declaring the airport national policy statement as unlawful for failing to consider the government's climate change commitments really helped to put climate change firmly in the headlines for a while and helped to draw that link with infrastructure too. Yeah, but I don't think most people, at least for Heathrow, really saw that one coming. And it opens up so many questions about other infrastructure projects. Silvertown Tunnel in London has already had a, a number of challenges based on air quality and costs are now under scrutiny. scrutiny. But I think that other schemes will also face further tests in the future. Which other projects do you think it could affect? Stonehenge, Lower Thames Crossing? Well, Chancellor Rishi Shunak said that his government is going to get Stonehenge done, but in terms of the £27 billion for roads that was announced in the budget, and what that means for other schemes really isn't clear yet. We looked into what the change of environmental legislation could mean last year, and research suggested there were another 64 schemes at pre-examination or pre-approval stage that could now be looked at in more detail in terms of their environmental credentials. Just going back to the floods issue again, it does beg the question about whether putting more concrete and stimulus in the ground for flood defences is the right thing to do, doesn't it? I guess we now need to look at alternatives to that conventional approach. I think now's the perfect time to bring in our guest for this episode, Carlton Brown from Heathrow West, who believes there is an alternative for Heathrow that does tick all the climate change boxes and a bit more too. This podcast is brought to you in association with Bentley Systems. Carlton is the CEO of Heathrow West, a company set up by the Aurora Group to bid for the development of the terminal building and other related infrastructure at an expanded Heathrow as an alternative to the current airport owner's plans. He took this role last year, having been with Aurora as the CFO since 2010. He joined Aurora from PwC, where he spent three years. Before this, he had roles at Ernst & Young and HSBC. So, welcome Carlton. I guess the first question, which everyone wants to know the answer to, is what was your reaction when you heard the court's decision at the end of February? So I'll give my polite response to that one. Um, It's definitely unexpected. Um, Great shame. Uh, Nobody was expecting it as Heathrow Airport themselves or the government. So I think it's a big shock. Uh, The lawyers are also surprised. Um, So we're we're still sort of grappling with the decision and um, working out what we do next and how we appeal and you're probably aware we've we've actually peeled week before last, um, and we are um, waiting for the right to appeal. Hopefully, we'll get the decision maybe today, but maybe hopefully this week, and then we go to the Supreme Court to actually appeal the decision that was taken by the Court of Appeal. And so, can you give me a bit of background? How do your plans differ from that of Heathrow Airport Limited? So we're focused around the terminal. Um, so Heathrow Airport Limited is doing the runways and the terminal supporting infrastructure. Our plans focus purely on the the terminal side. So whereas HAL have gone for an option of expanding the terminals in three areas, we've gone for a much more focused design, uh, working with the airlines, and we've centred our um, terminal expansion in the west. So basically adjacent to Terminal 5. So by by having a really efficient design and centering the passengers in one location, you can create one central hub, so it's great for the passengers arriving. They arrive from um, either from Heathrow Express or the Tube, uh, hopefully Western Rail and Southern Rail, and then they come up and they can go to Terminal 5 or Terminal 6. So you, you have less transfers. So basically, in a nutshell, we've got a, um, an efficient design in one location versus HALs in three locations. How exactly do your plans integrate with those of Heathrow Airport Limiteds? So, so HALs got some basic expansion going on in the central area. Ours will be sent in the west and obviously have Terminal 5 that's already there. 
R simply integrates into Terminal 5 and therefore the rest of the airport. So all the current infrastructure that's there for Terminal 5 will be used for Terminal 6 as well. Actually, you don't need the, uh, the northern satellite that Howard's proposed. You just don't need that. And therefore, you can have less land take and less transfer times. And you don't need to have the big expansion in the, the centre of the airport, which is incredibly expensive. And so how does your plan better meet the government's climate change policy? So with, a, with less footprint, so less land take, less footprint, your carbon um, footprint goes down automatically. Our construction period is 10 years versus HAL's 28 years. So their construction period goes to 2050. Ours, I was going to say we're done by 2032, but I guess it depends on where we end up with the court case. Right. Uh, but ours is will be done in, in 10 years. We're also being quite innovative trying to use a railhead uh, to bring in lots of construction materials on rail by rather than road. And that should save something like 100,000 lorry movements a year, uh, which is significant. Absolutely. And just in terms of the court judgment, has that changed Heathrow West's plans at all? Um, um, yes, it has. So, um, so, he, so Heathrow Airport Limited themselves have pushed back all their consultations and they've pushed back their, their submission date. So likewise, we will have to do the same as well. So we, no one really knows what the delay will be. Um, I mean, optimistically, I think Hal have referred to six months to two years. It, it's going to be realistically a minimum 12 months and, and possibly longer. So, so yes, we've, we've had to adapt, but what we will do is continue to engage with stakeholders and stakeholders are still coming out to us and wanting to engage with our plans, so, which, is, which is very positive. So we continue to engage, we continue to refine. Um, but the other thing is it's an opportunity for us to sort of look more on the environmental side of the um, construction and focus on the, the less footprint, less construction, and, and how do we better look at surface access. And just in, in terms of the environmental aspect, I mean, do you think the decision on how's plans adds more weight to more high-speed rail links in the UK rather than the expansion of the airport industry? Sorry, say that again? So do you think that the decision on how's uh, plan, the court decision on how's plan, adds more weight to high-speed rail links in the UK rather than expansion of the airport industry? No, I don't think so. I think, I think the airport obviously serves you know, domestic, short-haul and long-haul. So sure, you know, investing in rail for domestic travel in the country, that, that's great. And that can improve things and gives greater choice. Um, but the, the requirement for you know, greater travel for short-haul flights into Europe, into other short-haul destinations and long-haul, that's going to continue. So you've probably seen that Heathrow Airport over time has lost a lot of its domestic routes. And so, which means some parts of the, uh, the United Kingdom are trapped and can't get to Heathrow and have to go to other airports to get to Heathrow or transfer other European airports. So I don't think that requirement goes away. So I think, I think rail travel, yes, that's great and we should continue with that. But that's not a one size fits all. And I think we need airport expansion as well for your longer destination routes. Right. And do you think the court decision will have any impact on other airport extension plans? Yes. Um, simplistically, yes. I think we everyone's sort of grappling with what the implication is. Um, so there is a, a lot of work going on by you know, the DFT and others to work out what's the implication. So yes, there will be a significant impact. What that impact is, I don't know. I suspect it will be probably delays rather than actually cessation of, of works. So there's, there's a lot for the industry to think about in terms of going forward, what does the court decision mean? But having said that, I, I genuinely believe, because we're appealing it, that the Supreme Court will overturn what the Court of Appeal did. And so we possibly will back on track to where we thought we were before the Court of Appeal's decision a week and a half ago.
right? And you've touched on this already, but can you kind of give me an idea? You've, you've already said that your plans will save cost and will be delivered quicker. Yeah. How exactly are you going to deliver that? Right, so in, if you come back to the terminals answer, everything comes back to, to the, the big areas of expenditure are terminals. So the actual tarmac on the runway is about £300 million. And if you put that into context of HAL's overall expansion programme of £32.5 billion, it, it puts in perspective where a lot of the cost goes. So through being more efficient on your terminal design, that means the expensive pieces of infrastructure, you, you minimise the space that you require and the amount of building you need to do. And so in, in really simple terms, because we're building a really efficient building in the West and running one, rather than HAL building in three areas, you're saving on a huge amount of cost because you're building in, a, in an efficient way, but also you don't have to buy as much land. And land is, is expensive. So if you don't have to buy as much land, the costs go down, you don't have to enable the site. So you, you sort of, there's a multiplier effect in terms of the efficient design. So our starting point from the very outset was talking to the airlines, what were the airlines like from an efficiency perspective and, and worked with them to come up with the design we did. And just, I mean, as a business, you've not undertaken a project like this before. So how can we as an industry be confident that you will deliver what you're promising? So as an organisation, we, we like to, to change things and shake things up. So um, Surinder, the founder, is a, a great visionary. He looks at markets and spots opportunities where there are perhaps inefficiencies or things could be done better. And this is no different. So what we do, though, is we bring in the right people. So we, we, we get in the likes of Bechtel. So Bechtel built over 100 airports around the world. They, they know about airports. They know what to do. They know what looks good looks like. So we brought in the right partners. We brought in Scott Brownrigg, we brought in Nocco, Roller Sconey, DHV. So by bringing the right parties and our right partners, we can bring in the right expertise. And also we listen to our stakeholders. We go out to all our stakeholders and understand what they're looking for and reflect those in our designs. So I've mentioned the airlines a number of times, but also local communities. Car parking is a really important issue for communities. And so how can we, through better design, have car parking that doesn't impact the communities and actually is there uh, to, to better serve the airport and not disrupt communities? So it's, it's looking at lots of different stakeholders, which there are lots for, for Heathrow, and working with them to come up with better designs and, and sort of everyone wins. And in terms of your plan, I mean, can you see a, a certain amount of transfer, transferability for your pr proposals at Heathrow for other regional airports across the UK or perhaps, you know, elsewhere in the world? Well, it's a, it's a good question. So the, the central um, purpose of what we're doing is to generate competition through terminals. And the, um, when the Competition Commission did their review uh, for breaking up the old BAA, they said when afterwards that the next natural step was for a new terminal having competition at you know, part of Heathrow expansion. So, so the model we're saying is yes, terminal um, competition can work, and actually that can work at other airports and also other airports around the world. So Dublin Airport themselves, for example, are looking at introducing competition for their next new terminal as part of the new runway. So it is the way forward for the industry across the world. So, so whilst the actual designs themselves can be potentially be used, actually the bigger point, point actually is terminal competition can mean better value across the world. What lessons can we learn from other airports around the world? Well, so Newark, so, so New York is, is well cited as um, you know, having terminal competition and different owners operating different terminals. Uh, they're now expanding that to, to Newark as well and New Jersey. So they've appointed, I think, Munich Airport at um, Newark 
to to develop, build, and operate the the terminal. So it's for me, it's Brown using best in class around the world and bringing that to bear to the airport that is looking to to do new activities, whether that's a new runway, whether it's a new terminal. It's looking for best in class around the world. So you know, we're, we believe we're one of the early adopters of this, but we think it's sort of the future of aviation going forward. And I guess on a more personal level, what is it about the industry and more specifically the Heathrow project that you find particularly interesting? I, think I, I love complex problems. So I love complex problems and, and Heathrow expansion is a, is a very complex problem. Complex in its design, complex in its stakeholders, uh, complex politically. So there is a huge number of issues that, that need to be dealt with. And, and sort of I, I love dealing with those sort of ma- massive issues, bringing in the right team, because I, I don't have all the answers. And you've got to bring in the right people who do have the right answers. And you've got to bring in experts in their field and listen to what they say and, and balance out the, the sort of the differing objectives and desires. Um, so, you know, from an environmental perspective, it's a classic case. Of course, the, having a new runway in itself, you know, there is some environmental impact to that. And so, but how do you get the most amount of benefit from having the additional capacity and make sure you maximize the benefits, but also minimize the impacts? And so I'm very passionate about, you know, making sure we, we sort of, the benefits are, are seen by communities and not by the airport and the shareholders. So it's, it's working with the communities, but also reducing the amount of impact that there's going to be um, on communities um, and the travelling public, because there will be a huge amount of disruption for people on the M25, for example, which yeah. I am one. Um, that will be chaotic for, for a long period of time. So how can we minimise that? How can we reduce the impact and make life no more bearable? You're from a financial services background. Did you ever see your career developing this way? Um, so I, I'm sort of come from sort of a county background. Um, so, and I've done lots of different industries. So I, you know, I, I, when I joined Surrender, everyone thought I was a hotelier. I wasn't a hotelier. I wasn't a property person. So um, I enjoy you know, large, complex issues and, and things that need to be dealt with. So I'm, I don't have a particular issue in any particular sector, but I, I love the thrill of the challenge, and, and Heathrow is definitely a massive challenge. So we asked NCU's readership um, if they wanted to put a few questions to you. So here we go. Uh, John from Edinburgh asked, do you think that air travel has a future given the climate crisis? Yes, I think it does. Um, it's got to evolve over time and that, and that will take time. And unfortunately, the aviation industry will probably be one of the last industries to use um, sort of fuel um, and sort of gasoline products. But, you know, the, you can see that you know, the likes of EasyJet are starting to um, look at electric planes and short haul. And so they're talking about bringing them to service potentially in 10 years' time. Now, whether they can accelerate that or, or not, we don't know. We'll have to watch and see. But, you know, the battery technology is improving massively. You can see that in the car industry. And so the, the aviation industry will have to adopt the same thing as well. So I think there will be um, uh, scope for the aviation industry in the long term to be much more environmentally friendly and be carbon neutral. But it will take time and it will take investment. Um, Siobhan from Manchester asks, why do you think Heathrow is the right place for airport extent expansion? And do you think we could see Boris Island resurrected now that Boris Johnson is our Prime Minister? <laughs> That's a good question. So I think, um, I think Heathrow is still the right location for expansion. I, it, it's, it has the best um, integrated transport hub in the country for an airport. And so you'd have to recreate that somewhere else. So, so Heathrow has got, um, you know, it's got obviously London a short way a while, so you've got the Heathrow Express, 
you can have Crossrail going through, you've got the Tube, you've got the motorway networks, you hopefully have Western Rail, Southern Rail. So it's a it's great connected airport and you have, don't have that anywhere else. So Boris Island, you know, in a vision, if you thought, you know, maybe in 50, 100 years time, that might be the answer then, then potentially. But if you're looking into a 10, 20, 30 year time horizon, then you've, got, you've only got Heathrow. And finally, Hugo from London asked what you, you were personally doing to reduce your carbon footprint. That's a good question. So I'm, I'm now, I've taken up cycling. So I live 20 miles away from work um, and I try and cycle as much as I can, much to the annoyance of Surinder Aurora, but um, so he thinks it's too dangerous. But yeah, so I'm, I'm cycling in to and from work um, where I can and, and sort of that takes me just over an hour. So I'm, I'm targeting to get under one hour. Uh, for 20 miles which is which is i think is pretty good so really good. yes so um so no i'm uh, yeah so i'm i'm proud to do that i've also um i've got ground source heat pump in my house so i've gone for i've got no gas now at all at the house and i've got solar panels on the roof um so you know i think i think more should be done by by government to encourage house builders to sort of be more innovative in in new builds so um but yeah, I, th- I think it's, it's quite expensive, so I'm quite fortunate that I can afford to do it. But I think they need to make it more mainstream. And only by making small changes by property will that make a massive change collectively across the nation. Thanks for joining us today, Carlton. I'm sure you'll join us in watching the Supreme Court process on Heathrow Airport Limited's plans with interest. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of the Engineers Collective, which is brought to you in association with Bentley Systems. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast to get it delivered straight to your device as soon as a new episode is released. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends and colleagues about it. Thanks for listening, and we will be back next month with another episode with another special guest who will be revealed soon.